All right. Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day once again. It is great to see you guys. If you want to have a Bible and you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. And while you do that, I want to draw your attention to something that I hope you grab on the way in the door every time you come in. We call this our play sheet. And, uh, and it has different things that are going on within the life of a community. Every community has routines. Every community has events, traditions. And we want to invite you into it uh, that you might experience the goodness of the Lord. And so we've got it broken out into different categories. So explore Alpha. So this past Thursday night, we had 46 people in Alpha, uh, 34 of them are guests, meaning people whom you invited. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, meaning folks that you guys invited or maybe you heard about it at Easter or one of our services and just said, okay, I'm going to trust you guys to create a judgment-free zone for me to explore these things. And, uh, and the Lord is working there. I think that's awesome. Discover, we're doing something new. So if you've been coming to Rio lately and you're kind of thinking, okay, you know, I want to know more about you. I might want to join this church. This is a perfect opportunity for you. It's kind of a meet and greet. We're going to answer some questions for you. It's between the services next Sunday up in the Ingram Cafe. So second story of the building right behind me. And this Wednesday night, we are kicking off. And many people have been asking for this for years. So this is it a spiritual formation night with our spiritual formation pastor, Sam Kastensmith, who's seated right over here with his wife, Laura. Sam is our uh, spiritual formation pastor, both at the church and at the school. And I'm going to brag on him so that he doesn't have to. Uh, he is a phenomenal Bible teacher, like amazingly gifted and incredibly insightful. A number of other things coming up this week. Tomorrow night in here, 6.30, Rio Women in Worship. Awesome. Tuesday morning, we've got the men's breakfast. So if you like to eat man food, that's food that comes with a lot of calories and cholesterol, but it's amazing. Uh, that's for you. And you can still come and bring oatmeal, you know, if you're that guy. So that's fine too. We're, we're good with that. We, we won't make fun of you probably. Um, and then Tuesday afternoon at noon, we have our senior luncheon. So if you are a senior, and by the way, we just let you figure that out. You know, like we just figure that when you're a senior, you just know. You know, and you go, yeah, I think it's time for me to go to that. Well, we would love for you to go to that. Bring a senior with you or maybe a father or a mother or a grandparent. Uh, it's these, all of these things are available not just to all of us, but to all of our friends and family. It's a great way to, to kind of introduce people to a God who is really good, guys. He's really, really good. So if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we've started a new study, and we're calling it What He Gave Us. And what we mean by that is simply this. What did Jesus, whose resurrection we celebrated on Easter, give to us? Like, we know what the Bible claims some of the things are that He gave to us. So we believe that by His perfect life, God made man live for us, and then His sufferings and death, the innocent on behalf of the guilty. He died. He was buried. He is risen. We believe that this risen Jesus gives us forgiveness. We believe that this risen Jesus makes us new. We believe that this risen Jesus comes with heaven. But what else? Like in between now and heaven, what has he given us? And so two weeks ago, Winston talked about the fact that he has given us a purpose. And I want to read the purpose again. In Matthew 28, beginning in verse 19, Jesus said this. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There's our purpose. But what else does he say? Because it's what we talked about last week. He says, and behold, I am where? With you. How often? always. Whether you feel me or not, whether you see me or not, whether you want me to be there or not, 
whether you acknowledge it or even know it, if you belong to Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit, God Almighty lives in you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's given us a purpose. He's given us his presence. And as we continue to talk about the Holy Spirit again today, we're going to talk about the fact that he has, in the person of the Holy Spirit, also given us his power. And I'll give you several examples. He's given us this power through prayer. I want you to think about this for a minute. The almighty God of the universe has ordained that he be moved by means of our prayers. It's remarkable. And it's instructive. I mean, think about what that tells us about God. I mean, for one thing, it tells us that we serve a God who wants to be pursued, not presumed upon. And he wants relationship. Guys, the foundation of any relationship is communication, is it not? And so God has ordained a system whereby he grants us things through prayer that we might come to him. But the reality is, you know, prayer can be awkward for us. Prayer is something that a lot of us are insecure about, for sure. Probably all of us on some level are insecure. And so we start thinking, well, all right, I mean, if I pray, what am I going to say? Because I get about 30 seconds in, Tom, maybe, and I'm feeling pretty good about it, and then I'm out of gas. Like, so what am I going to say? Does he really listen when I pray? The Spirit who lives within you, who is God himself, is the answer to all of these insecurities. Paul says this in Romans 8. Verse 26, he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And notice the weakness he's addressing. He says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What does that mean? Well, I think at a very practical level, it means that when I pray and when you pray, guys, we ought to pray with the kind of expectant faith that says the spirit of the living God lives in me. And when I pray, he is praying in me and he is praying through me and he is praying with me and he is praying for me. And therefore then the prayers that are being offered in my behalf with the spirit are powerful. They're remarkable. That should encourage us to pray, but the spirit also gives us power and weakness. Thank goodness. It's a remarkable place to see his power. The Apostle Paul was stricken by some kind of a malady. We don't know what it was, whether it was physical, whether it was spiritual. It really doesn't matter, and I think he leaves it ambiguous in part so that we can all relate to it on some level. But it made him weak, and he wanted to be rid of it. But he says this in 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 8. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this malady, whatever it was, that it should leave me. But instead... The Lord worked a different miracle. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my what? For my power. The point being, who lives within you in the person of the Holy Spirit is made perfect in weakness. Why? Because my weakness causes me to do something that my pride would never allow me to do or that my stubbornness would never allow me to do or that my desire to control all things and everyone, (laughs) including myself, and therefore I have to be totally self-reliant and self-dependent, will never allow me to do. My weakness breaks me down to the place where it gives space for the Lord to step into it and go, all right, I'm going to take over here. Lord, I can't do it. I am not strong enough, and I'm really a little bit upset about that. What does that do? It just gives room for the Spirit to step in and to be powerful in our behalf. So God has given us a purpose. He's given us His presence in the Spirit. He's given us His power through the Spirit in prayer and in our weakness 
But the primary way, and this is where I want to park, that the Holy Spirit exercises His power in and through us today is through the spiritual gifts that He gives to us. As you read through the New Testament, you don't have to get too far before you realize, hey, you know what? God gives spiritual gifts to His people. And you don't need to read too much to realize that the gifts that He gives are very, very different from the kind of gifts that you and I give to each other. And the difference is that the gifts that we give to each other are completely external to ourselves. So, I'll give you an example. Let's say it's your birthday. Okay, and I show up at your house and I've bought you a bike, which would probably be a little awkward since, I mean, like, how do I know if you need a bike or not, right? So immediately you're thinking, does he think I'm out of shape, you know? Does he think I can't afford a bike? It's an illustration, guys. So I show up at your house with a bike. Just take it, okay? It's now your bike. I gift you the bike. It's yours. I drive away. I am not the bike. The bike is not me. And more than that, if the bike's going to go anywhere, I'm not going to pedal it to do that. Like, I'm not going to power the bike. I'm not going to steer or direct the bike. I'm not going to decide where the bike goes. I'm not even going to know if you use the bike or not. Like, you might use the bike, and if you do, you're going to have to get on it, guide it, direct it, empower it. You could give the bike away. I wouldn't even know. I mean, unless I saw somebody else on the bike that I just gave you, in which case I would probably text you because, you know. But no, I mean, really, like, You get the difference? The bike is completely external to me. Here, here's the bike, and I'm out. Okay, that is not how God works with spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are a manifestation of the presence of Almighty God through His Spirit who lives in you, and He is guiding it, and He is giving it, and He is directing it, and He is empowering it. It's Him working through you, God rising up to do something in and through you through a gift that He gives to you and directs and empowers. That's different. And maybe this is all new to you and you're going, okay, but what are the gifts? Well, the the New Testament talks about spiritual gifts in six different locations. It identifies about 22 different kinds of gifts, but probably the most famous discussion of it, and, and maybe to some degree the most controversial, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul says this. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who through the Holy Spirit who lives in His people that does what? That empowers them all in everyone who has faith in Jesus. For to each of us is given the manifestation of at least one of the gifts of the Spirit is the idea, and not so that we can show off, and so not so that we can look good, and not so that we can take it and use it to further our purposes and build our own kingdoms. But but so that we can use them for Him and experience Him in the, pers- in the doing of it. He says they are for the common good, meaning the common good of God's people starts with the church, but, but also the common good of the community, the common good of the city in which we live and the world in which we live. And now Paul lists nine of the 22 different gifts that the New Testament identifies. He says, for to one person is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, meaning of a wisdom that that person, you know, wouldn't have come up with on their own. Like, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reaches down into the well, if you will, full of the Word of God that daily in your personal worship you are storing up within you. And He brings to mind, for example, a verse that is like perfect for this particular moment. And here it comes, and then you say it. And it's his word of wisdom, maybe to you, maybe to somebody else. You're counseling with somebody, 
And he calls to mind some story out of your life consistent with the teachings of his word that perfectly apply to this and speak wisdom to someone. I think I experience this when I preach. Like, I, you know, I, I'm pretty dialed in on this stuff. Like, you know, if I just do the same sermon twice at 9 and 11, it's like 30 seconds difference in time. So that tells you something, I think, don't you think? But every once in a while... Actually, it happens pretty frequently. I'll be up here, and all of a sudden, I feel like the Spirit is going, and add this verse, and say this. What is that? Because I'm dialed in. Is that a word of wisdom? So to one person, he says, is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. I talked about this last week, but, you know, Matt and I went to that really small Christian conference, and they're having this ministry of prayer, and this guy's like, we're ready to go. It's, it's game time. And he stops and goes, okay, uh, before we do this, I feel like the Spirit is telling me I need to read this passage of Scripture from Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. And I, I feel like this is probably for one of you, and it was absolutely for me. Where did that come from? Do you think like before the meeting, he said, I know what I'm going to do. There's 60 people, and there's like 500 million verses in the Bible. But I'm pretty sure these two are going to apply to somebody, so I'm going I'm to call somebody out with these verses? No, the Lord said, look, I'm going to tell you something that you would never have any idea about but for me instructing you and telling you. What is that? It seems that that's a word of knowledge to me. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these, he says, are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And you say, okay, but like that's pretty supernatural, all of that stuff. And I just kind of want to say, and listen, by definition, every spiritual gift be it the gift of healing or the gift of miracles or the gift of prophecy or the gift of tongues, some of these that are listed here, or be it the gift of leadership or the gift of generosity or the gift of preaching or the gift of teaching or the gift of hospitality, some of the gifts that are listed elsewhere, by definition, every expression of every gift is supernatural. They are supernaturally given and empowered. They're all supernatural. But if what you're asking me, and I think maybe at least some of you are wondering, is, well, okay, but Tom, I mean, you know, there are some Christians who believe that these more overtly supernatural gifts, more visibly, more audibly supernatural gifts, no longer happen. And then there are some who believe that they do. Which camp are you personally in? And I'm in the camp that says, I believe that they do. And I have studied the arguments. I've studied this argument. I can make it. And I've studied these arguments, and I can make this too. And I find by far this one, for me, to be the more persuasive argument. I think that the Lord, at times, authenticates His gospel through miraculous means. And I find that when I talk to my missionaries, that they tell me the same thing. So we were all kind of schooled in this camp over here, and so, you know, I go off to be a pastor, and they go off to be a missionary, and then they come back from the mission field, and they're like, Tom, you're not going to believe this. There are all kinds of miracles happening on the mission field. I'm like, oh, yeah, actually, I am kind of believing that because 
I went to Fiji, which incidentally is the place to go on a mission trip. Just know that. Like if you get to go on a mission trip to Fiji, you just do that. So I went to Fiji like, I don't know, 12 years ago or something. And I, and I went there and I taught 45 different pastors from 10 different countries in the South Pacific uh, on behalf of Evangelism Explosion. We did like a week of theology together and just really got to know these guys, listen to their stories, hear their testimonies, humble, wonderful, amazing, Jesus-loving people who see miraculous things happen. So I went to the church of one of these guys. He was like a Hindu witch doctor previously, and the church was attached to his house. It was about half the size of our stage. It was made of sheet metal, dirt floor, and boards that you sat on. And after it was done, we came out, and they, I mean, this was a big deal. Like, we were the honored guests, and they treated us to this Indian feast, and they gave us water that I, they must have boiled, okay? But they would get their water from a stream, and we're up on a hill. You can see the stream down there. There was a tire with a rope around it. They would fill a jug full of river water, put it in the tire, and then they would drag it up the hill. And I'm thinking to myself, if I eat this food and drink this water, I'm going to need a miracle of healing. Like, <laughs> I might never make it back from Fiji, man. And I was fine. So how did you come to faith, Mr. I used to be a Hindu witch doctor? I was miraculously healed by the Christian missionary. I'm talking to a woman in the hotel that I was staying with there. You know, I'm staying in the hotel. And anyway, she worked there. And, and so I don't, so somehow we got on the topic of faith. And I told her why I was there and Christian pastor, blah, blah, blah. She said, oh, I'm a Christian. I said, really? Well, tell me your story. She said, yeah, my whole family is Christian. My whole neighborhood now is Christian. Why? Somebody in my family was sick. And we took him to this kind of faith. And we took him to this faith. And we took him to this faith. And then he got healed. And we all concluded this is the true and the living God. What is God doing? He's doing the same thing that he did in the New Testament. He's authenticating the message of the gospel. What do you do with that? If I say, no, 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 this isn't legitimate, I'd also find myself at odds with some of you, incidentally, and some of my pastor friends from all over this county who are sane, sober, not overly emotional people, not given to, you know, being carried away over things, who really love the Bible and study it seriously and who experience these kinds of things on a pretty regular basis. Look, here's what I think. I, I think that there are great excesses when it comes to the experience of the Holy Spirit that are, and I'm just going to say it, in my opinion, phony. They are sensationalistic. They are made for TV events. And therefore, they are embarrassing, and they are regrettable, and I want to distance myself from that kind of mania as much as I possibly can. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to overreact and end up in deficiency. I don't want to miss what the Lord might want to do. He has given us His gifts. He empowers them by His Spirit. He's given them to us for the benefit of each other and for the benefit of our city. And he calls us to use them. So after giving us this list of spiritual gifts, Paul says this beginning in verse 14. He says for the body. So here's the analogy he's making. He's saying we are the church and we're made up of all of these different people and they have all of these different gifts empowered by the spirit. We're all like one physical human body with all these different parts. He says, for the body, the physical body does not consist of one member, one part, but of many. We have hands and feet and legs and arms and, you know, hair, right? Some of us. I mean, it's funny. You lose it here and you gain it here. That's just not fair. 
There's something wrong with that. Like, the body does not consist of, of one member, but of many. So then just work it out. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not, Paul says, make it any less a part of the body. It would still be a part of the body. It would just be a part of the body that wasn't playing its part. So now how is the rest of the body going to get anywhere? It needs a foot. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Again, it would still be a part of the body. It just would be a part of a body that is now deaf because the ear isn't doing his thing. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is God arranged, which means that to to resist this is to resist the design of God. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Well, that's easy. It'd be without the sense of touch, because that's the hand. It'd be without the sense of sight, because that's the eyes. Without the sense of hearing or or of scent, because that's the ears and the nose. It'd be without the the sense of taste. That's the mouth. In other words, it would be insensible. And as a result, it would be useless, and God has not made this body to be useless. And so then Paul says, as it is, there are many parts in the body, and yet just one body. And since we're all just one part, he's saying, we need each other. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable... We bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but instead that all of the members of the body may have the same care or regard or esteem for one another, no matter what part they are or what gift they have. And so then Paul says, if one member suffers... All suffer together, which is true. You know, you sprain your ankle and now your whole body's on crutches. He says, if one member is honored, all rejoice together. And then he looks at us collectively and he says, now you are the body of Christ. And then he looks at each one of us individually. And he says, and you, each one of you individually, are members of of that one body of Jesus in this world. And so then what's the question? Like the question is, all right, well, then what part am I? And am I playing my part? Because the body needs you. Like if this church is really going to fulfill its purpose, its mission, its vision of leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus, we need our musicians to play, and we need our singers to sing, and and we need our leaders to lead, and we need our teachers to teach, and we need our givers to give, and we need those who work well with kids to work well with kids, and we need those who are great at hospitality to be all about hospitality, our greeters to greet, all of this stuff we need so that we're a fully functioning body. But more than that, Our city needs this church to be a fully functioning body. It needs for this church to have eyes that see, for example, the plight of the orphan and will not allow the rest of the body to fail to see it. Ears that hear the cry of the unborn and and require the rest of the body to hear the same cry. 
mouths that speak the truth about the various injustices in our city, hands that are willing to work with the homeless and the diseased and the dying and anyone else, feet that are willing to take a stand against oppression and take the gospel everywhere we go. God has given us purpose. God, by His Spirit, lives in us. That's His presence. Through His Spirit and through His gifts, He exerts His power. All right, so what part are you? And are you playing your part? And I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I say that to challenge you to do something great. We're all looking for this great adventure, and Jesus is like, I got it. You know, I gave you, I got, we got the purpose, we got the presence, we got the power, we've got the gifts. This is it. It's what I've made you to do. So we want to take a little bit of time and reflect on that. I'm going to invite Matt to come on up. And, um, and just lead us through a season of prayer where we're just intentional with the Lord about working that through, about taking that in and about letting the Spirit speak to us, making space for Him to do what He wants to do.